and welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza on this live broadcast from Washington. Here are some of the top stories making news across Africa this Monday, January 22, 2024. A Kenyan journalist starts a publication that reports on issues affecting women. This bothered me for a very long time, and I even had you know, discussions here and there. Then I realized I could not fight seven editors because more often than not, when we were caught up in an argument over, say, a misrepresentation of women, I would lose. And the UN says about 1.7 million Zambians under the age of 18 are married. The government has enacted Children's Code Act number 12 of 2022. This ensures the protection and well-being of children in Zambia. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Kenyan journalist is running a publication that reports exclusively on issues affecting women. Her publication, Woman Kenya Network, aims to help women tell their stories in a society that they say plays down on women's issues. Victoria Munga reports from Nairobi. Nairobi-based journalist Queen Tambori was chief sub-editor of a tabloid in a local media house. The 10-year veteran says she found the tabloid style of reporting on women disturbing because women were sexualized and misrepresented. This bothered me for a very long time and I even had you know, discussions here and there. Then I realized I could not fight seven editors because more often than not when we were caught up in an argument over, say, a misrepresentation of women, I would lose. In 2020, Mbori took action and founded Woman Kenya Network, a website on which reporters file stories exclusively on women. We ensure that our stories are gender-sensitive. We ensure that the stories are gender-transformative. It's not just about, you know, um, looking at balance and looking at, you know, uh, novelty and looking at human interest. And looking at you know the usual the the, the the w the five w's no we go beyond that we want to look at solutions we want to look at uh, human aspect we want to look at impact at least 10 journalists are employed here reporting on subjects ranging from business innovation climate change and reproductive health a 2022 report by Oxford University found that women are largely underrepresented in news coverage and portrayed in stereotypical and simplistic ways. So Kenya's Association of Media Women is championing more female representation in reporting through partnerships. Jen Thuo is the association's chairperson. We also used to partner with you and women. Uh, to see how, as an organization, we can have sensitization workshops for women in leadership on how they can uh, take advantage of media, be it social media or mainstream media, to profile themselves in politics. Uh, in addition, we've held several trainings for journalists, both male and female, for including senior editors, engaging them on the need to be gender sensitive. Indigenous women have an even harder time getting their stories told, according to a grassroots women-led community organization, Groots Kenya. Coordinator Pacifica Ongecha told VOA that it's because a majority cannot speak English or Swahili, the languages preferred by the media. Engage this woman where she belongs. They have the content. If it means this person speaks in Luya, engage them in the Luya language in Western Kenya. If this person speaks in Luo, engage them in the Luo dialect where this person belongs. And I'm sure all of them, most of them, will have some content 
of what they have gone through. Kenya has made significant strides in promoting gender equality according to a recent World Bank report, but there is still work to be done. Journalists like Mbori believe that publications like Woman Kenya Network will bring more success stories about women to the public eye. Victoria Amunga, VOA News, Nairobi. Still in Nairobi, Kenya denies it is engaged in conflict with Uganda, Tanzania, Sudan and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Kenya's foreign minister says his country is committed to promoting regional peace. Kenya faces an outgoing oil distribution case with Uganda, while Sudan has accused the country of supporting the rapid support forces, leading to the recall of the Sudanese ambassador in Kenya. Kinshasa has recalled its ambassador after Kenya hosted Congolese rebels last month. Muhammad Yusuf reports from Nairobi. Kenya's effort to assert itself as a regional political force and economic hub in Eastern Africa is not going over well with some of its neighbors. The Democratic Republic of Congo and Sudan recall their ambassadors after their governments accused Kenya of hosting and dealing with their country's opposition groups in Nairobi. Uganda, meanwhile, recently took Kenya to an East African court in Tanzania over an oil distribution dispute. The case is about Kenya not allowing Ugandan government oil marketers to operate within its borders. This comes after Uganda discontinued the previous open tender system for purchasing petroleum products from Kenya. Also, Tanzania banned Kenya Airways flights from Nairobi to Dar es Salaam last week because Kenya allegedly denied permission for Tanzania's national carrier to operate cargo flights to Nairobi. The ban was lifted after discussions between the foreign affairs ministers of the two countries. Kenyan Foreign Minister Musalia Mudavadi said Sunday that his country is not at war with its neighbors and wants to bring peace to the region. Mudavadi says some states are vulnerable, others are in conflict, and our president William Samoy Ruto is on the front line making sure peace returns in these countries. He says the wars in those countries will affect our country too. Kenya has come under criticism from some Africans and its own citizens on how the government is handling engagements with other states. International relations expert Kizito Sabala says the diplomatic spots are growing out of countries trying to counter Kenya's influence. The reform is going to be a tug of war of what Kenya tries to do from the neighbors. From my point of view, I don't think there is really something very serious to, to, to worry about. These are things that will continue to come as Kenya tries to assert itself as a regional power, and the other countries will try to find any leverage to use it in order to bring that uh, down. Kenyan President Ruto, who came to power more than a year ago, has met several heads of state in Africa, including his neighbours, promising to help solve Africa's chronic problems of conflict and hunger and to bring economic development. Sabala says such assertiveness from a new leader will get pushback. They are reacting the way they are reacting because I think in Nairobi we have a new president who is very assertive and who, who seem to be projecting this to the region. And therefore, I think that in itself uh, seems to be telling them, no, 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 uh, let, let's put a stop here. But uh, I think with the time, we'll just get used to our, the way our president is doing things. 
And uh, that, that's fine. I don't think it's a big, big issue to worry about. Experts urge Kenya to handle the conflict in Congo cautiously, especially regarding rebel groups that have contributed to the country's instability. They also want Kenya to refrain from taking sides in the Sudan conflict, which has pitted the country's armed forces and paramilitary rapid support forces against each other. Mohamed Yusuf, VOA News, Nairobi. Nairobi will move to Lusaka, where, according to the United Nations, about 1.7 million Zambians under the age of 18 are married. And more than 400,000 were 15 or younger when they got married. Cut it short in Lusaka reports on attempts to end the child marriage. 19-year-old Natalia Tembo was rescued from child marriage by her mother after she got pregnant in ninth grade. Her father set up the marriage but has since passed away. Upon his death, Natalia's mother was able to remove her from the marriage and enroll her back in school. She says she's happy to go back to school, although she feels different among her friends because she has a child. 30-year-old Landa Sodala Mulema advocates against child marriages. She ran away at age 15 when her uncle tried to arrange a marriage for her. I went to Zambia College of Pensions and Insurance. I studied insurance and I'm working with Madison Life Insurance. So if I was married when I was uh, much younger, I was not going to know the worthy or the true meaning of education. I'm able to work. I'm able to buy anything that I want because I went back to school. Barnabas Mwansa is the child protection specialist at UNICEF, one of the UN agencies working to reduce child marriages in Zambia. Child marriage is a formal or informal union involving a person under 18. Most countries view it as a violation of international rights. Recently, Zambia passed a law called the Children's Court Act. One of its provisions is a prohibition on child marriages and since its passage, the Zambian non-profit Families Are Nations says 1,000 child brides have been withdrawn from their marriages and taken back to school. The group also says that a child marriage rates have declined in the past year. Angela Chomba Kawandami is a permanent secretary at the Ministry of Community Development and Social Services. The government has enacted the Children's Code Act number 12 of 2022. This ensures the protection and well-being of children in Zambia. But Zambia, in effect, has two legal systems. One system is based on English law and the other customary laws, which are based on the different traditions of Zambia's 73 ethnic groups. While Zambian law sets the minimum age for marriage at 21 years, some customary laws allow child marriage with parental consent starting at the age of puberty. To solve the problem, the government recently introduced a bill in parliament that would supersede customary law and make all child marriages illegal and punishable in court. Currently, a child in Zambia is legally defined as any person below the age of 16. Kathy Short, VOA News, Lusaka, Zambia. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is said to meet today with Cap Verde Prime Minister Ulysses Coveria Silva as the top U.S. diplomat begins a four-nation tour in Africa. Blinken's itinerary also includes a visit to the port city of Porto de la Prea, 
which received funding for modernization efforts from the U.S. government's Millennium Challenge Corporation and attending the African Cup of Nations football match between Ivory Coast and Equatorial Guinea. Blinken Strip also includes stops in Ivory Coast, Nigeria and Angola. U.S. State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller said ahead of the trip that Blinken would emphasize U.S. infrastructure investment in Africa as a way to boost two-way trade, create jobs at home and on the continent and help Africa compete in the global marketplace. listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, electoral campaigns boils up in the United States. Find out why after the break. What do you think? Speak out on important questions. The question today. Do you believe in fate? Yes, I do believe in fate. I do believe that once you have been given a particular purpose, fate will definitely make you get into it, whether you tend to the negative or the positive direction. Eventually, you get to achieve what has been planned for you. Sometimes I do because there are sometimes opportunities that comes unexpectedly, but sometimes I don't believe in it because everything is possible. I don't believe in faith because I think once in life, no matter the family or your background, things can change. Your life has not been arranged in a certain way that you had to, no matter what, follow that trend. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. Hey folks, I'm Muck Bill Yabarro, and I have some electrifying news for you. AFCON 2023 is here, and I'll be at Ivory Coast covering all things AFCON for VOA Africa. We'll have exciting coverage on radio, TV, and all of our digital platforms. Make sure you check out voaafrica.com for AFCON updates. Stay locked right here on VOA Africa. You are listening to South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. The small northeastern state of New Hampshire holds its presidential primary tomorrow. New Hampshire prides itself on independence and creating havoc. VOA's Caroline Presiti is there and explains how the Granite State could turn U.S. politics upside down on Tuesday. Not what you'd expect to hear hours before a presidential primary. But this is the quirky state of New Hampshire, where President Joe Biden is not on Tuesday's ballot. A move by national Democratic leaders, which some, like former state Democratic Party chair Kathy Sullivan, consider a snub. People said, we're going to put that aside and we're going to support Joe Biden because we all know Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. And the most important thing we can do to save democracy is to stop Donald Trump. This is from uh, 1992 convention. Ray Buckley chairs the New Hampshire Democratic Party. But on Tuesday, Biden will not get his vote. Since my election as chair, I've written in Jimmy Carter every single time uh, to show that I am completely uh, uh, unbiased. 
Buckley has voted for Democratic incumbent presidents in the past, but this time... We were in shock and stunned. The Democratic National Committee demoted New Hampshire from its historic spot as the first state primary in favor of South Carolina with its more diverse voters. Angry state party officials scheduled the primary anyway. We are going to the polls on Tuesday. On the Republican side, a different kind of drama. In a frigid minus 10 degrees Celsius, people in down parkas shiver and move closer to each other in a line that extends around the block. The Donald Trump rally doesn't begin for another four hours. We love the Trumpster. He's, uh, he fights for us. How many wars did we have when he was president? Everybody was happy. Everybody was making money. Former President Donald Trump is pulling in the crowds at his rallies and polling at just over 50 percent among New Hampshire voters. Former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley is at 35 percent in the Boston Globe poll. She needs to sway me, so I'm open-minded to whatever it is she has to say. Like Denise Montmany, many in line to see Haley are independents or Democrats who can vote on a Republican ballot here. Registered independent voter Isaac Gear is here to decide if Haley gets his vote over Trump. I'd like to hear um, a little less war hawkish um, rhetoric from her um, in terms of her stance on Ukraine and uh, Israel-Palestine conflict. Analysts say New Hampshire Republicans who are fiscal conservatives interested in lower taxes and smaller government could be Haley's last chance to stop Trump. Chris Gaudieri is a political science professor at St. Anselm College. If she can't in a state that is tailor-made for that, um, I think it's fair to ask, well, what is the next step? What is the state where she will have another chance to beat Trump? And the number of states I can come up with is a very, very, very short one. On Tuesday night, we find out whether New Hampshire voters offer any surprises. Carolyn Prasuti, VOA News, Manchester, New Hampshire. And now for some sports news in Ivory Coast. Several games are being played today at the ongoing AFCON tournament. The outcomes of the matches will determine which of the teams qualify for the next stage of the tournament. For the latest update, Sunny Yang reached Mogwilya Baru, who is on the ground to cover the tournament. Today we will have uh, four games that will be played in Abidjan. Uh, Guinea-Bissau versus Nigeria uh, will be playing at 5 p.m. Abidjan time. Uh, Equatorial Guinea will be playing Ivory Coast. And then uh, Mozambique, Ghana, and Cape Verde, Egypt will both be being played at 8 p.m. each. So two uh, stadiums in Abidjan will be having two games being played, one at 5 p.m., and another one at eight. So, yeah, it's going to be excitement all around. Cape Verde and Senegal are through to the next stage. In your estimation, or from the people you've spoken to, have they been the strongest team so far in this tournament? I would say yes. I think Senegal more so, but Cape Verde, you cannot really, uh, you know, disregard the fact that they've won two games uh, decisively. Uh, and to be honest with you, they're going to be playing Egypt uh, today. And I have a, you know, if I was to be uh, guessing, I would think that because they have six points and they are at the top of their group, um, 
coaching staff may decide to rest some of their key players because they are already through to the to the next round from their group, Group B. They have six points at the moment. Egypt has two with two draws. Ghana and Mozambique both have one point with a draw and a loss each. So Cape Verde, even if Egypt beats them, Egypt will still only have uh, five points with that win. Cape Verde still at the top of that group. Mark Bill, I've seen some Ghanaian fan base angry at their team. I've seen Cameroonian fan base uh, very upset with the performance of the team. But in your estimation, which of the fan bases of these bigger teams seem the most upset with their team's performance at this ongoing AFCON? The two that you've mentioned, absolutely. Uh, you know, Cameroon being, you know, one of the top uh, historical African figures uh, in this tournament and in football in general, having won the AFCON five times, uh, that's a huge, uh, you know, it's been very, very, uh, there's been a lot of vocal um, disappointment coming from a lot of Cameroonian fans. Uh, I will say Egypt, even though Egypt has somehow escaped, really, it's almost like some kind of a magician's, uh, the, the type of magic they've been able to do in order to get those two draws because in both games that they drew, they realistically, they didn't play a better game than their opposition and were just lucky to come away with draws. And then also having, on top of that, Mohamed Salah, Mo Salah being injured in that Ghana game early on uh, does not help them moving forward either. So Egypt, Egyptian fans, I'm sure, uh, feel a type of way. Uh, I would say Algerian fans have shown a lot of, you know, dismay, uh, you know, getting two draws as well. Uh, when they almost lost against Burkina Faso in that second game. Um, another team, Tunisia, right, with one draw and a loss. They, they, they're another fan base. So interestingly enough, Peter, I would say mainly the North African teams came into this AFCON being ranked extremely high. You know, majority of them, I think, if not all of them, were ranked top six and under. Uh, so for them to be going through what they're going through right now, is, it's it's very interesting to see. Even Morocco, you know, Morocco uh, played excellent uh, in the latest uh, World Cup, but they won their first game. Second game was not so, you know, was not such a great performance by them either. Uh, they ended up drawing with uh, DR Congo 1-1. Uh, so this has been a very, very interesting AFCON a lot of teams that people may not have expected to be winning are winning, uh, and a lot of the bigger teams are really not showing up to what people had predicted. Are there any other interesting things happening while you've been out there? Uh, random fact, I was uh, you know, wearing an Arsenal jersey yesterday and happened to be at a, uh, at a lunch uh, you know, that we were invited to and I ran into a former Arsenal player, Ivorian uh, legendary player, uh, Gervinho. It was so funny because him and I were talking for a bit. I was like, well, what are the odds of me meeting you while wearing this jersey, you know? <laughs> it's my first time pulling the jersey out all trip. So it, it, it was fun, you know, uh, random fact, but it was, it was definitely a pleasure. He, great guy. That was my colleague, Mokbel Yabaru, speaking with Peter Clody from the Afghan tournament in Ivory Coast. And that's all we prepared for you this Monday, January 22nd, 2024. We now leave you with some Avokaya traditional music. <laughs>
been listening to some Avokaya traditional song from Tore in Central Equatorial State. Don't ask me where the Avokaya's are found in South Sudan, but I'll give you an answer. They are found in Central and Western Equatorial States. I'm your host, John Tanza, on this live broadcast from Studio 14 here in Washington. On behalf of our producer, Kwame Ofori, and engineer Chang, we wish you a lovely evening. Remember to join us again tomorrow evening for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. An editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The United States continues to conduct defensive strikes against sites in Yemen as the Iran-backed Houthis keep up their attacks on commercial shipping in the Red Sea. In the days following a large defensive airstrike operation January 11th against Yemeni sites by the United States and Britain, with support from Australia, Bahrain, Canada and the Netherlands, the Houthis again fired ballistic missiles into the Red Sea, including against a Maltese-flagged bulk carrier and a U.S.-owned and operated container ship. The U.S. responded by launching additional airstrikes targeting Houthi positions in Yemen. In a statement concerning the January 11th strikes by the U.S. and Britain, President Joe Biden noted that the defensive operation, which targeted Houthi missile, radar, and unmanned aerial capabilities, came after weeks of warnings by the United States, dozens of other nations, and the U.N. Security Council, urging the Houthis to stop their attacks on commercial shipping. These attacks, he said, have endangered U.S. personnel, civilian mariners, and our partners. Partners, jeopardized trade and threatened freedom of navigation. President Biden also declared, I will not hesitate to direct further measures to protect our people and the free flow of international commerce as necessary. At a press briefing following the Houthis' continued missile attacks in the Red Sea, National Security Council Coordinator for Strategic Communication John Kirby said in regard to the American and British airstrikes of January 11th, the United States had fully anticipated that the Houthis would probably conduct some retaliatory strikes. However, he noted, by degrading their military capability, we are making it harder for them to conduct these attacks. Coordinator Kirby emphasized that the United States stands ready to defend our interests, our sailors, our ships, and that of merchant shipping as required. We're not looking for a war, he said. We're not looking to expand this. The Houthis have a choice to make, and they still have time to make the right choice, which is to stop these reckless attacks. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. 